chapter 11 of Acts. And I'll tell you a little bit about, about my ministry and what I've been doing uh, for the last 38 years of my life uh, for the Lord and how he saved me, what he saved me from. Uh, so we'll just read uh, chapter 11 of Acts together, uh, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as as Venus and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, uh, spake unto the Grecians, Gentiles, uh, preaching the word the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came on to the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with or in the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. No doubt we'll go into chapter 12, but uh, this is actually my first time here. In reality, it is. um, um, I was saved in 1980. Um, The Lord saved me out of of a life not a good life. Uh, I was a very selfish man, married. The the lady I married to, Lynn, we were married. We've been married for 50 years. In April, we had our anniversary. Um, And uh, we were married and we had two sons born to us. And I was uh, in banking. I had a very good job. Lots of money, you know, the house, the car, and all those things. But but I was empty. There was something inside of me that shouldn't be there, like an emptiness, a void. All my friends seemed happy just to be here. But I was never happy just to be here. I never was. And so I was seeking. Psalm 63, David said, my soul thirsteth for thee. And that's really what people are thirsting for in this world. 
the devil is very successful at hiding this from them. And they try and fill this emptiness in their hearts with everything under the sun. Things, success, money, cars, clothes, people going from one partner to another partner and so on and so on. And the reality is they're seeking for God. And I didn't know I was either, but I was seeking for something. And um, I didn't find it in the world of uh, success. TV showed people so happy. I said, well, I guess that's the road to happiness. Get all you can down here. Get as much money as you can and so on. But I realized I, I still had a, something missing in my life. So I, I turned to religion. And um, I became a, I was studied in one religion. I went to my wife's religion. I'm going to uh, church six mornings a week. Six mornings a week I'm going. Then I go to the bank, and I was known as a religious man. But uh, when work was over, I go to the tavern, and I get inebriated and call my wife and lie to her and tell her I'm at a meeting. And I, I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, you're nothing but a hypocrite. And one day I'm looking up at a life-size statue of Christ, and I said out loud, I don't even know you. I know I didn't know him. So I walked away from that. And uh, rock and roll. Rolling Stone was my Bible, the Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, music. And uh, my life then became that. Managing rock bands, blues bands. I was in a band, uh, writing songs. I was studying Satanism in the attic of an old house we lived in. And I wanted to be a rock star, you know. I would have sacrificed my wife and my two children to be that. <laughs> God gave me enough rope, but not to hang myself. He let me go. And I got to the point where I couldn't stand the man in the mirror anymore. 30 years old, what kind of man are you? pleasure man and uh we heard about my wife's brother he got religious and i wondered what he found because i went down that road and uh the lord it was all i look back now i can see the lord's hand i'm sure we all can we can see god in our lives bringing us to salvation's day and i we had to move uh, sometimes bands have friction so we got apart for a little bit so I went over to St. John in New Brunswick, and uh, he hadn't gotten religious at all. He'd gotten saved. And uh, I never heard the word saved. I didn't, I never heard the words even sin or born again. I didn't even know what a Christian was. Nobody ever told me. And he read to me from Romans 3, and he said, wait, you read. I was a very shy man. I couldn't talk in public. I couldn't do that. I couldn't even read that out loud. I said, no, you read to me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None righteous, not one. None that doeth good, not one. He said, wait, that's you. If you die in your sins, you're going to hell. And I didn't like that very much, you know. Like they say, first you get mad, then you get then you get sad, and then you get glad. 
Well, I was mad. I, did, I didn't like what he was telling me, you know, that uh, he, he's going to heaven. I'm thinking, who, who does he think he is? He's a perfect man. He's going to heaven. But, you know, I knew he was. Nobody can say, I am sure of heaven as I was already there, unless it's the truth. We all know that. And I, I, knew, he, I knew that he did know that. And I, I didn't know where I was going. And so I shocked him one day and I said, could I go to where you go, the church? And he, he, he read me wrong. <laughs> he thought you're, he's a, Wade's a proud man. You know, he's, he's never going to, he's not going to listen to me. And he was shocked. I, he said, yes, of course, of course. So I went out. And, I, and for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel preached salvation, God's marvelous salvation. I, I won't go on and on about this. It was a very dramatic conversion for me. <laughs> I'm sitting in a chair in my mother-in-law's apartment, looking down at, at some drugs that fell out of my pocket. I had a leather jacket. I flung it down on the chair, and, and, and there was a, a joint fell out of a hole this big in my pocket, down through the lining. And I was through a, a little tear in the lining this big, and it's lying on the red red carpet. And I went in to get ready for work. I was going... I, security guard or something and I, I come out and the drug dealers at the door and I bought I bought the drugs the night before 100, 100 bucks worth and I came home that night and my wife looked at me sadly and she said you're on drugs again she could tell she didn't drink or smoke or swear she watched wholesome movies I don't know what she was doing with me I have no idea but she married me anyway and she knew what my first love was and uh there's the drug dealer at the door. I, I, I bowed to her that night. I will never do drugs again, I promise. I bowed in front of her mother and her sister. I was just getting out of a little jam. I was a very good liar. This is the next day, April 29th, 1980. And I came out of the bathroom and the drug dealer, I bought the drugs so he hit the door. He lived in the apartment upstairs. He said, wait, whose joint's that? And I looked. And there's this white joint on a red carpet, and I knew in my heart only God could do that because I just flung my jacket down on the, on the way through the kitchen, and I knew, I knew it was God. I sat down in the chair, and I'm looking at this joint, the floor, and I'm all by myself. <laughs> it's just me and God, and it's like God said to me, Wade, you've been searching for the for me, all your life, you've been searching for God. And I brought you to him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want him, you choose him. But you best choose him now. And if you don't want him, then pick up your life. Let's summarize my life right there, the pleasure man. And you go live your life. And I felt in my heart that if I don't turn to him now, I might never, I might, he might never speak to me again. So I, I stood up under my chair and I picked up the joint. And that hymn Charles Wesley wrote about the, the, the light came on, you know, I rose and went forth and followed thee. I went and got the hundred bucks worth out of the bedroom and I gave them to my Donnie, the drug dealer. And he looked at me in amazement because he knew that was my life. 
He said, you want me to keep these for you, right? right? Like, what are you doing? You're not giving them to me. And I said, I don't want them anymore. And I, I couldn't believe I said that. I Actually, I said that. I was a slave to that stuff, you know. But it was me. And it's real. And those chains fell off of me. And I rose and I went forth about a little brown Bible. And that's, that's what God did for me in my life. And uh, many people have been saved in my family. I was uh, oldest of seven, seven children. They've all been saved. My wife. Um, and uh, four years later, uh, the Lord, it was obvious he gave me a bit of a gift in the gospel. I'll tell you, what, he, gave me a, he gave me a care for souls, right? I wasn't saved even five minutes. I'm thinking, my wife, she's not saved. I wouldn't have said say the pipe was I just turned to God. I turned to God in my heart. That's what I did. That's repentance, isn't it? The change of mind. I let go of living for me. I died to me and I turned to God. And uh she uh she she was amazed watching me, you know, and uh, she realized I didn't join some church. I, I wasn't the I wasn't the same man. And she gave me a hard time. She persecuted me. She threatened to leave me time and time again. And I was talking to her. I I talked too much to her. I lost a zeal, but no wisdom. She'd go in the bathroom, turn the taps on. And so she couldn't hear me. And I'm reading the Bible outside the door to her. So the brethren are sitting me down and said, wait, listen, wait. Why don't she just not talk? Don't say anything. Just pray, pray for your wife. And okay. So she wouldn't come to my baptism in the lake in St. John. I didn't expect her to. And when I, when I came, I came back and uh, once in a while, she'd say to me, why don't you go jump in the lake? Oh, I forgot you did it already, didn't you? <laughs> and she made fun of me. She persecuted me. I come home from Bible study and she said to her sister, the nut, the nut bar just came home with his Bible, you know. And my wife, very good living woman, you know. I knew, I knew what I was. I was on first base. That's where a sinner has to get, right? Yeah, you don't get home if you don't get on first base. I was on first base. I knew what I was, but she didn't know what she was. It's difficult for men and women who live like that, you know. They live good lives. They could be Christians. Some of them live better than we do. It was a testimony. They're not Christians. My wife was like kind of a woman. And what was she going to be convicted about anyway? And one day, one Sunday afternoon, we were, I was going to go for a drive with her and our two boys. And uh, she said, okay, so I'm in the bathroom. I start singing a hymn and she, she got very angry. She said, we can't even go for a drive in the car and you're going to sing about Jesus. It's always Jesus. And I'm leaving you now. I'm done with you. And she walked out the door. And I said, wait, you stupid man. Why don't you just be quiet? Just go for the drive. When she came back, I felt I had to speak to her. I just felt compelled to say something to her. She came in the kitchen. I'm glad she came back. It was two hours later. And I said, Lynn, it's not me you're mad at. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, when Saul was on the road to Damascus to go and get the Christians, The Lord Jesus stopped him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I said, Lynn, it's not me you're mad at. 
it's him. And she shocked me. She sat down at the table. She put her face in her hands. And her little shoulders started, sh- and the tears coming down her face. And she said this, he wouldn't want me. He wouldn't want me. You see what God did? He used the persecution. Now God has something to convict her of, right? What are you doing convicting your, uh, your husband's a good man now, a good husband, a good father? And that's what she, the conclusion she came to, I'm so bad he wouldn't want me. And I said, Lynn, and I started to cry too. <laughs> I'm around her and I knew she was saved on that day. That's six months later. So uh, God's been very good. And uh, gave me a bit of a gift to preach the gospel. It was parent to the brethren. I had a care for souls. And you have to have a care for souls to be an evangelist. It's a prerequisite, right? So he gave me that. And in 1984, um, I was uh, commanded. And I've been, I'm an evangelist. That's what I am. I mean, I, I teach. I've spoken at many conferences and so on. And I, I can teach. But my heart is evangelism. And uh, I, I come down twice, three times a year to New Jersey and I stay at Seaman Mail. I'm very grateful that I can stay there. And I visit assemblies in New Jersey. Um, then I go on to Pennsylvania, down to Delaware and Maryland and so on. Uh, um, that's my life. I've had gospel tent meetings every summer, find a field, put the tent up, children's meetings in the morning, gospel at night. When I'm home, I go door-to-door visitation. That's why I look at this portion here in Acts 19, or uh, Acts 11. <laughs> I said, yeah, they went everywhere preaching the word, and, and that's what I do. And uh, it's something that I, I have to do. Um, I, can't, I can't leave my house without, without gospel tracts. I can't. I'm halfway to the supermarket, and they're in the car. i got to go get them. And I give everybody a tract that I meet. Everybody. Um, I go house to house. Communities around St. Stephen, I go house to house, because that's what Jesus Christ said to do. The laborers are few. Go. Get out there to them. They're perishing in their sins. And go to the poor. So I always seek out the poor, the poor areas, right? The poor, poor areas. And uh, last year, I did 18 straight weeks of visitation, and, and I witnessed a change in people. COVID changed people. They're afraid. Huh? They're afraid. If you're afraid of COVID, what are you really afraid of? You're afraid of dying. That's what they're afraid of. And they're starting to think now. Maybe you've noticed it yourselves. I, I noticed it right away in 2020. They're, they're thinking of God. They're thinking of death. In eternity, and I recognize this, and and I give them a track, the cashier, and I mention God. And that's the end of the conversation, but not anymore. She's still looking at me, and I I, I knew they they want me to tell them more. Saint Stephen is five thousand population town. They we already know they know me. They know me there, and so they want me to tell them more about God. People have changed. And uh, last year, 18 straight weeks visitation, there were 22 souls, 22 souls. I witnessed the miracle right in front of my eyes, a divine appointment. I knock on the door, and I knew this man's going to be saved, and he was saved. 22 souls. This year, um, eight, eight straight weeks, and God has saved eight souls this year. 
Okay. Two weeks ago, he, he saved a, a lady. Um, and, uh, they're, they're crying. They have tears of rejoicing. You know, they're saved now. I, I thank God. Um, people have changed. You probably noticed that. They're more sober now. They're thinking more now about these things. So I, I took advantage of that, and I think we all should uh, as, as his people. Um, so scattered abroad, these Christians, the, the persecution that was brought on the church in Jerusalem, that caused, that caused this uh, scattering abroad of the Christians. They were just Christians like you and I, normal men and women. Saul was consenting on to his death, Stephen, and a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem started. God allowed that. God used the persecution. And, uh, and it says that they were all scattered abroad. These are the same ones that are in Acts 11. Um, and what were they doing? Except the apostles were told that, just ordinary Christians. And what were they doing? Well, it says, um, except the apostles, and it says, verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They had to care for souls. They weren't so taken up with the fact that they are displaced now, refugees on the run. They're preaching Christ. And now they're mentioned again here in, in Acts chapter 11. You know, when you read the, the church history, those seven churches are church history. The first one, Ephesus, the Lord Jesus commends them. And then he says, I've got, but I've got something against you. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. This was the first love. It was the gospel and the gospel's Christ. When we preach the gospel, it's Christ on the cross, suffering for our sins, all the blessings that flow from Calvary. And we're blessed, are we not? And they're, they're still doing it here. They're preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's him. It's Christ. And um, as I see myself, the, uh, the church, Laodicea, the last age, you know, I'm like lukewarm, I think maybe... That might be prevalent uh, in the church. Looking through, just looking through people. God puts somebody right in front of you. You have a treasure in you. This man doesn't even know why he's here. I knock on the door at Christmas time one time. I, I have Christmas gospel tracks, a verse each month. I go Christmas time, hundreds of them, and, and gospel in Christmas tracks. And knock on this door, and, and the lady opened it up just a little bit. It was dark inside, and I told her, I said, I gave her the calendar, the track. I said, this is what God's love for you. And she looked at me, and then she started to cry. And she said, I'm glad somebody loves me. And closed the door. I had to go in my car have a little cry. How many people, how many people out there are crying themselves to sleep at night? I wonder. You, they don't. They don't let us see that. I'm fine, thank you. They tell you a lie. I'm fine, thanks. Things, things are great, thanks. No, they're not. If they don't know Christ, things aren't great. Um, 
And I, I, I can't look through anybody. God's just done that for me. That's me. And I don't compare myself to other Christians at all. I'm an evangelist. I have a care for souls. And I, no matter who I see, I see them in the light of eternity. It doesn't matter to me what you are. You could be the head of a corporation. You live in a mansion. You have a big Mercedes Benz or Rolls Royce, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief. I see you in the light of eternity because your life's going to end one day. And somebody mentioned Luke 16 this morning. Rich man died, buried, and in hell. Lift up his eyes. Psalm 73. Psalm 73 says, when, a, when an unsaved man dies, in one single moment of time, he's utterly consumed in terror. Do we understand this? He's, he or she, this nice lady waiting on you, your neighbors and so on, those you work with, utterly consumed in terror in a moment of time. That's their latter end. And that's how I see everybody. And that's why I always have gospel tracts. And what do I say to them? Everybody go house to house to tell them my name and where I live. I guess Deer Island, Bay of Fundy. I took an hour's drive, ferry out in the middle of the water, and I finished the whole island uh, two weeks ago. There were three souls saved in that island. I, I give people tracts. I was at the, was it ShopRite, I think, a ShopRite near Bellman, Belmar. I always get my groceries there, and I always give tracts out to the cashiers. <laughs> I'm walking there yesterday, and I heard this woman says, she goes, la blah, la blah. I turned around, looked, and it was somebody I'd given a tract to last year. I say, I say, I want to give you something from the Bible. I took right off at the top. This is from the Bible. And their hand reaches out and takes it. Because they've been thinking about the Bible. They've been thinking about dying. They've been thinking about God. And they'll take it. John 3.16. And inside, bad news for good people. How's that? Like when I go traveling over to Africa, or I have this like, I see bad news. All I see is bad news. And they can't help themselves. They say, they look at me and they look down, look at me, look down. I say, what's the bad news? I say, hey, you read for yourself. Good news for good, good news for bad people at the bottom. Um, I've been to Guyana. South America in the jungles, preaching with the Amerindians down there three different times. I've been eight times to Africa, uh, eight times, six times. I go to Kenya. I preach in the prisons over there. The prisoners, all in one room, all in one room, 800 men, 500 men. And God blesses his gospel. Hundreds and hundreds, they stand on their feet crying, crying to God for, for the gospel. So we have, we have these, uh, these Christians. And uh, there's great blessing, as we can see. Um, Antioch, Gentiles, this was like a turning point here in, in, the, in the history of the church. Gentiles, it was all Jews in Jerusalem. Now these are Gentiles. It became a center for outreach. They got Barnabas to go. I understand 300 miles between Jerusalem and Antioch. And he went. And... Uh, they recognized him and what he said to them was purpose of heart, cleave unto the Lord. And, uh, and he also preached the gospel as well, didn't he? Because it says that uh, much people were added unto the Lord. Um, then he recognized his limitations. I recognize my limitations. 
I'm an evangelist. Um, so it's like, it's like Philip in Samaria. When there was blessing there from the persecution, uh, Peter and John went down, didn't they, to teach, to teach the new converts. And so here's, here's Barnabas. Now, he knows who the great teacher is, and that's Paul. Paul was in Tarsus. How long was he in Tarsus? We're not, we're not really sure how long he was there. He must have been waiting because he knew he was a chosen vessel to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He comes on the scene. And because he's a teacher, Barnabas recognized that. He brought him down and playing second fiddle. It's okay. It's all right. Barnabas knew you're, you're the teacher, Paul. You teach the saints here. And Peter, he disappears. He disappears off the scene in chapter 12. The keys that were given him, the Gentiles and the, and the Jews and Gentiles, the keys, you open the door, it's open. You don't need the keys anymore. And uh, it just says about, about Peter that he, he left. We don't, we don't know any more about him. <laughs> he, he's mentioned in chapter 15 once and then, and then in Galatians 2. Now it's Paul. Now, now Acts is now dominated by the person of, of Paul. Teaching, preaching the gospel. He was a gospel preacher. First and foremost, Paul was an evangelist. The Lord told him that. You are the vessel to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and, and the church. And he was a great man. All these epistles he, he wrote and so on. He waited a long time. Um, I saw Psalm 37 to 7, and it was his trust in the Lord and, and wait patiently for him. And sometimes we have a little problem with that. I know I do. I get impatient. But trust in him and wait patiently for the Lord. He was waiting patiently in Tarsus because he knew God told him, you're going to suffer many things, but you're going to be a, a vessel, and you're going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, the word Christians is mentioned for the first time in this chapter. And also elders mentioned for the first time in this chapter. Um, good to see that. Uh, menial tasks, they weren't beneath Paul and Barnabas. They brought the money. They brought the collection up to, up to uh, Jerusalem. And I can't even see the clock. What, what time is it right now? Oh, eight minutes. All right. Eight minutes. Um, then I... I was told chapter 12 too. So let's, let's look at chapter 12. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. That's to do evil, especially physically. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had a apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four courtians, uh, there's six, 16 soldiers, to keep him intending after Easter. That word Easter uh, means to spare. Passover is the feast of the Passover. Um, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was wanted, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door of the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came 
We won't read everything here. The angel came. We see God working miraculously. The soldiers didn't wake up. You know, there's a light shining. They didn't wake up. He woke Peter up, poked him in the side, and uh, and brought him out. And, and the gates opened of their own accord, those gates. Uh, and then the angel went away. And Peter, Peter knew it was this is no vision. This is really happening to me. I was just delivered uh, from, from the prison. And so verse 11, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered him out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the, of the Jews. Then he came to the, to the house and they're praying for him without ceasing. Prayer was very dominant in the new church, the first church. Um, they're praying without ceasing, and Rhoda goes, and there he is at the door. And, and what we see here is the uh, unbelief, lack of faith in prayer. Um, like it says that they called her, you're, you're mad, you're, you're, you're mad, must be his angel. And they were astonished when they saw Peter. And yet they were praying for Peter to be delivered. So um, a, little, a little lesson for us when we pray, have faith in God, trust in God. So, um, so Peter gets, he, he goes in, and uh, then uh, Herod. That's why in Acts 16, we see the jailer with a sword to his, take his life. Because if you were a Roman soldier and you failed in your duties, you were publicly put to death. And that's what Herod did here. Cruel man. Those 16 soldiers, they were all put to death because Peter had escaped. And that's why the jailer was doing that. I mean, even notice there that all the prison doors were opened and their bands fell off. But God didn't let one man escape. That jailer. Because it was all for him. It was all for the jailer. I, my personal feeling is that the vision that, that Paul had was the jailer. He saw the jailer come over into Macedonia and help us. And he hadn't seen him yet. So they, they, we know what happened. They beat, they beat Paul and Silas, didn't they? And they threw them in the prison. Now, at the end of the chapter, Paul discloses something, doesn't he? He says, Paul and Paul and I and Silas were Roman citizens. Huh? You, you come and ask us to leave. No message to us. But he didn't say that, did he? When they beat them for having the devil cast out of that woman. Because he hadn't seen a jailer yet. He hadn't seen him yet. So God's will be done. They took the beating and the jailer was saved. Herod's great-grandfather had the babies killed in Bethlehem and his father had John beheaded. They were very cruel, these men. And so um, we know what happens. He, he pre he's an oration to these Christians and uh, they're men pleasers, you know, they're working the way up to him to please him. You know, Oh, it's a God. It's not God. And uh, he gave God, not the glory. And notice the order there, the maggots, Maggots come after you're dead, but they came first to this man, and then he died. This, this was of God. To God be the glory, and the word of the Lord grew, grew and multiplied. And we, we wonder, why, why did God allow James to be killed? 
He was one of the Lord Jesus Christ's favorite disciples, wasn't he? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. He let, he let James be killed, but he rescued Peter. We don't know why. And in our lives, we must not question God either. We don't know why. Things happen in our lives. And sometimes we just don't know why. But God, you trust me. Don't lean to your own understanding. Trust me with all your heart. I know what I'm doing. So James is put to death. Peter's sleeping peacefully. I think that's kind of a strange thing, isn't it? <laughs> he's sleeping peacefully. He knew what happened to James. But, you know, I believe why. And when the angels said, gird thyself, probably the words came back to him. In John 21, the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, you're going to be an old man, and you're going to be crucified. Peter knew that. See, he's resting in the promise of God. So he's sound asleep peacefully uh, in, in this jail. Um, um, what else, what else to say? Uh, I mentioned the keys were used by, by Peter and, you know, once the door's open, it's open, it's gone and he disappears and the word of God was, was being uh, written. I were told that at this time. So there's, there's a lot of things in chapter 11 and 12, but brother Alan asked me to tell about myself. So I felt a little compelled to do that. So you know me a little bit. Um, I'm an evangelist. I've been to Africa eight times, um, South Africa. I've been to Ghana. I've had a whole month, month there uh, preaching the gospel every single night, <laughs> month of May and uh, visiting in the daytime. And I learned how to preach the gospel in, in Twi, <laughs> uh, just the basic gospel, introduce myself. And I've been six times to Kenya. In the prisons there, I mentioned that. And uh, I mentioned, I also learned how to preach the gospel in Swahili, the simple gospel. So when I meet somebody and they see this, this white guy and I start talking to them in Swahili, they're, they're quite taken by this. But I'm telling them about Christ. Jesus loves you. I look down the barrels of AK-47s and I'm over there because they always stop the car when they see a white man. And it's a white man's wealth, right? And the corrupt soldiers paid little. And they don't go to the driver's side. They go to my side with a barrel right in my face, the AK-47. And I look at it. And then I take out this. I say, here, I want you to read that. I'm an evangelist. We just came from a prison, going to a prison. And the gun lowers down. And they know the gospel over there. They know the gospel. And you take, they all take the tracks then. All, all the soldiers, they all come over. All come over to get a gospel track from me. I'm waiting for a call. They go back over to Kenya. Prisons have been closed through the COVID, but they're opening up now. So I'm waiting to go back. And in the meantime, I, I come down here. Uh, the trip's planned for September, October, November. I'll be coming down, uh, ministering the gospel, preach the gospel uh, in, in, in the assemblies. Uh, and when I'm home, I already told you what I do. I go out house to house in my car, in other driveways, knocking on doors and giving the gospel to people. So I'm trying to stir you up a little bit, I guess, in the gospel, because I'll tell you what, those people have changed out there. They're not going to say no to you. They're not. You tell them, this is from the Bible. It's God's love for you. God's love for you. Who's going to say no to that? Nobody. They'll take that track, and they'll probably read it, too. So uh, anyway, I want to again thank Brother Allen. He listened to me. I explained what happened to me. Uh, it happened anyway. Um, so I'm very grateful that I I had an opportunity to come back here and and speak to you. Um, so thank you very much. And I 
trust that what I said was of some encouragement to you, dear brethren here. We'll pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this morning and the remembrance of thy beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ, Father. And we thank you for such a savior as him, who's promised never to leave us, fail us, nor forsake us, Father. We give thanks that we're, we belong to thee, Father, through faith in Christ. We're grateful, Father. We are your people, Father, and we thank you for showing us the simplicity, Father, of gathering together unto him and remembering him, Father. We are grateful. We ask your blessing now as we part, Father, in that worthy name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.